Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Summertime is here, and if you weren't here with us last week, I kicked off our brand new sermon series called Jesus at the lake, because this time of year, that is on the forefront of our minds. Whether you have a cabin or not, whether you have a boat or not, I feel like we can all empathize what it's like to have a slice of watermelon with some lemonade and a burger next to the lake. That just sounds amazing, right? That is where our minds are at. And here's what's really, really interesting and cool to me, is Jesus himself spent so much time at the lake. And I don't mean like he was water skiing behind a boat or something, but like he spent a lot of his time next to the lake. And what I talked about last week is if you open up your Bible, you might not see a lake that I'm talking about, but I promise you've probably heard of it because in the Bible, the Sea of Galilee is actually really a lake. There's no salt water in it. It's completely fresh water. And as I talked about last week, it's about a third of the size of Malax. So Malax Lake, we can kind of somewhat rationalize and kind of know what that looks like. But the Sea of Galilee is about a third of the size of that. And it's where so much of what Jesus did, so much of what Jesus taught, so much of what Jesus went around and did was next to the lake. And so we talked about how the first step of that, the first moment we see with Jesus and his disciples was next to the lake when he said, hey, follow me. Follow me. Set down what you were going to do. And follow me, like chase after me. It's so relevant to our seniors as, as they go in and do their next stage of their life is, will you just follow Christ into whatever it is that he's calling you to do? But where we pick up today is actually kind of on the lake itself. Because what we might not know is that in Jesus' day and age around this lake, there's about 3 million people, scholars believe. It's a lot of people. It was the epicenter of where life was And so when we pick up today, I want us to have that perspective because it's so, so vital. And here's what's cool. In the story that we're going to pick up here in just a second, what's happening is the disciples have been with Jesus for a little while now. They have seen him turn water into wine. They have seen him, uh, basically, Peter, Peter's mother-in-law was sick. They saw him make her unsick. They saw a leper, which is kind of like cancer in the day and age. They had like sores all over your arms. They had seen him heal them. They had seen the Sermon on the Mount, parables. My point is they had seen and seen Jesus do so much up until this point. And today's snapshot is on the back end of that. So Mark chapter 4, Jesus at the lake, part 2. Here we go. Verse 35, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, that being the other side of the lake. Leaving the crowds behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. I want to break that down. That day, as they were leaving, it says Jesus, they went at Jesus. At, let me rephrase this because I didn't want to get this right. Just as he was. I read that this week and I was like, what in the world does that mean? And so I researched it and basically what it was saying is Jesus was exhausted. I love seeing the humanity of Jesus because he was fully God, yes, but he's also fully human. So Jesus has been helping people all day long, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and he needed a nap. 
Like that literally is what it meant, is that he went just as he was, tired, exhausted. And you know what? He said, let's go over to the other side. They were on the west side of the lake, which is the busy side, where all the towns are, all the people are. The east side is the quiet side. That's where you can get away. Just like how we got to go north to get away and get some reprieve. They go east on this lake. So Jesus says, hey, let's go over to the other side, the quiet side. I need a break. So he instructs the disciples to cross over to the other side. The sun's coming down. It's evening. It's a beautiful sunset. Life is great. Off they go. Everybody's exhausted, but they're on their way to a mini vacation. Right? Nothing could possibly go wrong. Verse 37. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, um, I am not a Navy man. I am not a one who's acquainted with sailing. Um, so I didn't know what a squall was. I had no clue. I knew what a storm was, but I didn't know what a squall was. So a squall is basically an intense windstorm. So I want to show you something this morning. I'm going to show you a picture of someone who's super handsome, uh, good-looking. Oh, that's me. There it is. This, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, right behind me is the Sea of Galilee, which is really, really cool. What blew my mind when I took this picture, I was like, hey, uh, that was where Jesus walked on water. Pretty cool. And I was like, maybe I, I was like just a nerd that way, but I thought that was really, really cool. And so I took this picture because I had to prove to my wife that I was still alive. But I also took this picture because it really kind of takes a, a snapshot into what this geography looks like. So I'm going to show you two more pictures of the Sea of Galilee. This one, this is actually us on a big wooden boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Again, it just looks like a lake because it is just a lake. But notice what's around the lake. See all the rolling hills. And then there's one more picture. I've got a panorama here. All around the lake, literally all the way around, you have these big hills. And the Sea of Galilee itself is at the bottom of a valley. So you have a big valley here, and at the bottom is the lake, and all around the lake is mountains. Here's why this makes a difference. When you have that kind of a geography, storms happen in an instant. It's almost equivalent to if you were to have a cup full of water sitting on your kitchen table and you took a straw and just lifted your straw just a hair above the water and blew through the straw, it would go everywhere because of the intense wind that comes right down into it. Basically, the Sea of Galilee sits on the end of a massive wind tunnel. To this day, to the point when we were actually going through our tours here in the Sea of Galilee, one of the guys that lives next to the lake says, in a matter of 20 minutes, you can go from a landscape like this, beautiful, sunny, a slight chop to the water, to they get up to 10-foot swells on this lake. 10-foot swells. Like, that's not just your average white cap. That is literally a wave that's two times as high as I am, give or take. I'm not quite five foot, but close. So think about that. Think about that. Like, literally, the disciples are on their way. It has been an exhausting day. It has been a tiring day. They are just looking forward to getting across the lake. They set off. It's evening time. The sun's coming down. And all of a sudden, they're in the middle of the lake, and here comes a storm. I want us to picture this because sometimes it's a little tough to kind of put it. So I'm going to put you guys in the middle of the story here. 
from where they were going to where they had to go was five miles. Five miles. And a lot of times we kind of think about, okay, it's not terrible, but we have to remember they don't have mercury motors in the back of their boats. They have good old-fashioned horsepower. Rowing each and every way. So in the middle of the night, they're in a big wooden boat. Jesus and his 12 disciples, at least 13 people in this big boat, of which seven of those on board are experienced commercial fishermen. And here comes this big, massive storm, a kind of storm that has 10 foot rolling waves. The wind is howling. The water droplets from the waves are smacking you in the face. The boat is rising and falling the whole way. People are yelling out instructions, trying to navigate the storm. Those on board are throwing water over because water continues to come over the edge of what's happening. They're bailing water. The boat is getting swamped. And where's Jesus in this whole situation? Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Outside of the spiritual significance for a second, it's a storm. Literally stuff is happening all around and he is sleeping. Like I, I laughed, I literally laughed out loud when I, lo- I thought of this story this week because about a, like a Super Bowl of last year, we had friends over. We had all the snacks bought. We had pizzas ordered. It was going to be like a fantastic party. All of our friends come over, get Parker to bed. She's, she's really young at the time. Ellis is still awake. And so we put in the pizza and we, off we go. But me, fully me, forgot to you know maybe put the pizza pan underneath the pizza, which sometimes is not a bad thing. You get better crust. But the cheese kind of dripped onto the oven on the, on the bottom and started to smoke. And then the smoke alarms went off and set our whole house. As that's happening, Ellis is screaming at the top of his lungs because he's scared. We have literally like the dog starts to bark and go crazy because he's like, what the heck is going on? All of our friends are rustling and hustling and trying to figure it out. And so here I go to Parker's room and she's passed out. Amongst smoke alarms, all this stuff is happening. Up until that point, if I broke wind past her door, she'd be awake. But after all this, she still is completely passed out. And so here we have this scene. There is true chaos happening on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is in the back of the boat taking a little siesta. The disciples, much to the chagrin of them, are a little freaked out and annoyed. The rest of verse 38. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? But again, we're in a storm, right? So let's get the tone right. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? We're going down. The boat is going down. We have to remember, these are experienced fishermen. They know when they're in it bad. They know when the storm is really out of control, they know when they're in it bad. I love how Luke chapter 8 explains the story because he talks about them being in danger. When this storm came through with what was happening in their boat, this was past the point of no return. Their boat was on the verge of sinking. And if your boat sinks in the middle of the lake with that kind of waves, you don't survive it. Even today, people lose their life on the Sea of Galilee because of how quick those storms come up. So they knew they were in it bad. 
So let me finish the story for you. Because I believe this has a lot of significance for us today. Verse 39, or Mark chapter 4. Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The title of my message today is, What Took You So Long? What Took You So Long? If you're a disciple in the boat, and you're on the verge of death, and all of a sudden Jesus gets up, says something, and says, be still, and the whole landscape goes completely calm. I think part of us in the human sense would be like, thank God we're saved. But another part of us would probably be like, thank you, finally, you had to scare us half to death. What took you so long? But that question, what took you so long, the title of my message is not, Jesus, what took you so long? I want to ask that question to the disciples. What took you so long? The Greek word for swamped in verse 37 basically means to the point of overflowing. It's so full that you're literally half a second from the thing overflowing. The boat was swamped. The boat was about to be overflowing because there was so much water in it. And again, with my lack of experience, I don't want to say as a matter of fact, but I do know enough to know, I've been on boats long enough in my life to know that if you are getting overrun by waves, if your boat is actively sinking, it takes a little bit of time. Wave has to come in here, wave there. It's not one wave just does you in. It takes a series of waves to really submerge your boat. So my question for you, disciples, is what took you so long to wake him up? What took you so long? Was it because maybe you didn't want to wake him up because you didn't want to disturb him? You knew he had a long day. He was tired. You want to let him sleep? Was it because you were a fisherman? You were experienced. You're like, ah, no, we got this. It's just a storm. We We can get through this. Don't worry about it. We've got this. Or do you not wake him up because you were too busy, too distracted, too stressed to remember, oh yeah, Jesus is in the back of the boat. I can't say without any certainty what their motivation was, but my question is, why did they wait so long to wake him up? Because at this point in time, everybody, the disciples had seen miracles. They had seen a woman who was deathly ill be completely healed in a moment. They had seen a cistern of water turn into wine. They had seen the leper be healed. They had seen a man who was paralyzed literally get up and walk out the front door and Jesus prayed for him. They knew what he was capable of. And they also knew how much he loved and cared for his disciples. Up until that point, there was moment after moment after moment where it was so clear that Jesus was caring for the needs of his disciples to make sure they were okay. But when push came to shove, and death was right here in front of their face, they forgot to go to him. They forgot that, oh yeah, Jesus is here. Because did you even see how they addressed him? They didn't wake him up and say, Jesus, we're in trouble, help. They said, Jesus, 
Don't you care that we're drowning? Don't you care that we're going down? What that tells me is they accepted defeat. There was no part of them that was like, you know what? Hey, we're going to make it out of us. They were saying, we are drowning right here, right now, and you're not even caring enough to watch us go down. You're not even going down with us. What took you so long? What took you so long to wake up? The savior of the world, the man who defies all laws of physics. What took you so long? Storms are scary. I'm not just talking about thunderstorms and tornadoes and hurricanes. I'm talking about storms of life. It's scary when you have an expense that is greater than what's in your savings account. It's scary when you get a phone call from the doctor who says, I need you to come in right now. We found something. It's scary. It's scary when you pick up the phone, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, this is the police department. We need you to come down right away. Something's happened. We all know what storms look like. I don't have to paint the picture, but we all can empathize what it's like to walk into a situation where everything in your world flips upside down. When you're sitting there going, oh my gosh. The kind of storm that has you jump in your vehicle and drive at Mach 10 to wherever you got to go. That kind of a storm. And the lesson that I look at in this story is it's not just the disciples who were in a storm. I think we all go through the storms. And the lesson is, is how do they navigate it? If I can be very frank, everybody, the disciples, they failed the test. They failed the test. They had literally watched Jesus do all kinds of amazing things. They knew what he was capable of, and not just what they had seen with their eyes, but here's what's fascinating to me. Psalm chapter 89, verse 9. This is in the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 89. What I just read to you is in the New Testament. Check this out. Psalm 89, verse 9. You, you being God, you rule over the surging seas. When its waves mount up, you still them. Does that sound familiar? What's so fascinating to me is we are fortunate enough to have the Bible in print. We have it in this book. We have God's word right here at our fingertips to learn from, to be guided by, to feel encouragement in life from. But the disciples here in this moment, they didn't. The printing press was not, not invented until 1400. Meaning mass productions of print were not possible. So if you want to actually pick up the Bible, that being the Old Testament, when Jesus was alive, you had to go to the synagogue and it was in a big scroll and the priest would read from it. But beyond that, you didn't have access to a print version of the Bible. However, they didn't have print, so they'd have to tell it orally. Mature people, people about my age back then, would know most of the Bible by heart because they had to learn it from memorization. So here's where I'm going with all of the disciples. They knew from Psalm chapter 89 that God could still surging waters. They knew he could take a storm and quiet it silently. They had seen him do all these miracles. They fully knew what God was capable of. 
but they didn't act on it. Their first inclination was not to go and wake him up. Say, hey, help us. Their first inclination was what I can only assume is to try and do it on their own and navigate the storm by themselves. This morning, church, I just really believe that the challenge that we have before us is what are you going to do in your storm? What are you going to do in your storm? What are you going to do when push comes to shove? What are you going to do when life is crazy and out of control and deathly scary? What is our response? Is our response to try and fix it, to do every conceivable thing to try and fix it on our own power? Is our response to just run away and just pretend it's not there? Is our response to, to hibernate? Is our response to whatever it is? Or is our response to wake him up? Jesus, I need you. Jesus, down here, help. What's our response? Because over and over I've heard, let's just, let's just pray about it. What else can we do but just pray? What else can we do? That's the most powerful thing we can do. Wake them up. What took you so long? Wake them up. I really, really believe that two things in this place are happening today. Number one, I believe there are people in this very room right now who are walking through a really real storm. It might be financial. It might be a relationship. It might be a a, a hurdle that you just keep coming and putting your head up against you every single time and every time it just pushes you further back. I believe that Jesus wants to speak to you and say, if you just wake me up, you'll see a shift. You'll just wake me up. If you will just come to me and genuinely seek me, genuinely surrender control, genuinely let go and let me work, you are going to experience a breakthrough. Up until that point, the disciples were out of option. Their boat was about to go down. And in a moment, Jesus calms everything to the point you could skip a rock on the lake. It doesn't take him long. But we got to ask. We got to rely on him. We got to trust in him. But here's what I also believe. I believe we as a church, God wants to continue to grow us. He wants to continue to move us forward in our faith. I remember being a senior in high school and stepping right into a brand new school four hours away a new community, a new life. And it was terrifying, but exciting. And I learned that when you step deeper into the water, yes, the perceived threat feels higher, but so does the purpose of your life. I believe as a church, we're not meant to stay in the shallows. We're meant to step into what God's calling us to do. Here's my favorite part of the story. Who told them to go to the other side of the lake? Jesus did, right? They were safe on the west side. Hey, let's go to the east side. He was fully man. Yeah. 
He's also fully God. Which means he knew the storm was coming. He knew the disciples were going to be in the middle of the storm. But he still had them go through it anyway. I'm not saying every storm that comes your way is what is God ordained and God trying to teach you something and God trying to do something because that's not always the case, but sometimes it is. Sometimes to be the person that you want to be, to experience the life that you want to experience, to experience God and the life he has for you, you have to go through a storm. And sometimes he's the one who's actually leading you through it on purpose to show you that he cares for you, to show you that he's with you, to show you that it doesn't matter how scary, how intense, how much the wind is roaring, how big the waves are, he's still got you. And he's going to take you through the storm so you can see it. The disciples knew it. They knew it. But they didn't feel it and trust it up until that point. And here's what's so fun. It wasn't the last storm they'd have to go through. (laughs) Later on in the story, same thing. Although this time Jesus isn't in the boat. He says, hey, go to the other side. I'm going to sit back here and pray. And when they're in the middle of the lake, same thing. (sighs) Waves everywhere. So Jesus walks out on the water. And what's the response? Peter says, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. Do you see that change? The change that goes, hey, what? God, we don't even care if we drown. To, this defies all logic, but God, if that's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. They grew, and their faith grew through the storm. Church, we're going to step into what God's calling us to do. He's going to call us to do some exciting and awesome things, but there are going to be some challenging things. But we're going to grow through it. And we're going to see some amazing things as a result of it. If those 12 disciples were to die on that lake, who knows what the church would have looked like? Because those 12 dudes, they were the pioneers of why we are in this place right here, right now. So you might feel like you're in the middle of the storm. You're on the verge of going down, but guess what? You won't. Because he's got you. And he doesn't just have you. He's got plans for you on the other side. So don't quit. Don't quit. And don't wait so long to ask for his help. Some of the most powerful things we can do is instead of just trying to fix it and do everything first, some of the most powerful prayers I've ever prayed are, Jesus, help. Jesus, help me with this. I've been on the way to a phone call and I've been on the way to something where I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even want to walk in that front door because I know what awaits. Things that scare me. Things that in every inclination are saying, I can't possibly go there right now. I got to tell you, when the steering wheel, it's a matter of Jesus, help me. Jesus, lead me. When I open that door and step onto that driveway, there's something different that changes. 
because I know the God of the universe is right here. Guide me through it. Don't wait so long. Ask for help. Let go of control and let Jesus speak to you and through you. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, it gets windy and stormy and scary in life. But Lord, you can still them in a moment. You can stop the storm right here and right now. So God, today I pray for a few things. One, I pray that for those who are in a storm, those who are just feeling like the weight of the world's on your shoulders and you're on the verge of sinking, I just pray, God, that they would feel your hand. They would feel your touch. They would feel the love and care you have for them because you're not going to let them sink. You're not going to let them go down because you have them. So Jesus, please just hold them tight. Get them through the storm and show them what you want to show them through it because I know, God, that you want to show them something. God, for those who maybe feel like they know somebody who's going through a storm and they don't know how to help, I pray, God, that they would see that sometimes the most powerful thing we can do is just seek you and pray. I just pray, God, that you would just hear the prayers of those that pray them and you would work something powerful. And lastly, Jesus, I pray that we would follow your direction. Even when you're leading us through a storm, I pray, God, that we would follow it obediently. And we would step right into the middle of it, knowing that you are with us, behind us, and for us. Even when we make mistakes, even when we get it wrong, even when we sin, you forgive us, you make us new, and you give us a fresh start. So God, I pray that even this week, those who are struggling with their purpose, those who are struggling with what to do, those who need clarity and direction, I pray, Jesus, that they would hear from you this week and that they would step into it and follow it through it all. Jesus, I thank you. We're waking you up, God. Move on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A lot of time we say, hey, let's give God some praise for what he's done, but here's what's cool about praise. Sometimes you can praise God for what he's going to do that's not yet to be done. So this morning, I want us to walk out of this place just absolutely ready to run through a wall because we know that God's with us and for us. So today, whether you're feeling it or whether you're going to be asking God for it, can we give God some big praise this morning? This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.